The Medics Money podcast helps doctors, dentists, and other professionals make better financial decisions. Hosted by myself, Dr. Tommy Perkins, a GP. And by me, Dr. Ed Cantelow, a GP, but also a chartered accountant and chartered tax advisor. This podcast is for general information only and does not constitute any form of advice and tax allowances and rates are subject to change. So it's my pleasure to welcome back to the Medics Money podcast. You're a bit of a veteran of the podcast now, Mike. I think this is like your fourth or fifth appearance. Mike Harms. Hi, Mike. Hi, Tommy. How's things? They are good and they're going to be much better once you've cleared the muddy waters of what's going on in the economy, investments and mortgages today. But just a quick intro for those that haven't listened to you before. Why are you qualified to talk about this today? Okay, so I'm a Chartered Financial Planner and Director of Medical and General, Independent Financial Advisors. I've been providing advice to the medical profession for over 14 years now and an advisor for just over 15 years. So yeah, time flies. But being chartered means we have a deeper knowledge and understanding of what's going on with finances, pensions, everything you can think of. And as I said, qualified by experience over 15 years, do a lot of things on investments and every aspect of financial planning. Brilliant. And you said time flies because you just said it was October when you last came on to give us an update, just after Kwasi Kwarteng and Liz Truss's basically infamous now, let's just say budget. So I thought it'd be good if you could just give us a general update on investments. We're getting a lot of questions about mortgages, interest rates, you know, what's going on there. But where do you want to start with what you're going to update us with? Okay, well, I think it's probably important just to understand where we sit economically to where we were six months ago. We've gradually seen interest rates moving upwards. And we've obviously been keeping an eye on what's going on across the pond in the United States, but also what's going on here in the UK. A lot of the recent rate rises within the UK have been down to the impact of Quasi and Liz. There's no disputing that the facts are very clear, and that's borne out in performance figures of investments, amongst other things. So last October, when we jumped on the podcast, we were in this ridiculously crazy time where we started to see interest rates ramping up fairly quickly. But intriguingly, the mortgage interest rates were going up quicker and faster than the Bank of England was raising their rates. And that was because the markets were spooked. And therefore, the concern around where interest rates may actually end up was pretty high and no one really knew where it was going to stop. And it was, you know, the Bank of England's intervention, they had to really help out large pension funds to make sure that they didn't fall apart. So there's some pretty drastic intervention, all driven by an ill thought out policy that hadn't been basically signed off by the bookkeeper. And that's the OBR, the Office of Budget Responsibility. So what it has taught us, though, interestingly, is that there is a limit to what people in power can actually achieve. And if their ideas are perceived by the markets as being a little bit crazy or risque, then they will tell them and the impact will be, as we saw last year, pretty catastrophic in certain circumstances. Now, we went through this, like I said a moment ago, interest rates on mortgages started to go up quite significantly in October and November. But interestingly, once we started to see the effects of having a more stable environment, shall we say, with leading the government forward, then actually that market cooled down. And we started to see that some of the interest rates that people have been locking in on in October, they could actually get cheaper in December and January, even though we'd seen successive increases in the Bank of England base rate. So we're in this really weird scenario where your normal link between Bank of England base rate going up and mortgage rates going up was skewed and completely out of kilter. So 
What's actually happened? Why do we put interest rates up? I think that's probably one of the interesting points is why on earth are interest rates going up? And it's mainly to curb people's spending because of inflation. And it's therefore probably worthwhile just reiterating what inflation is. It's a year on year increase in the cost of a basket of goods. That's how they normally coin it. And it goes back to the old days where they literally take a basket, walk around the shop and say, OK, how much was milk last year? How much is it this year? What's the percentage difference? So that's how that phrase has been coined. Now, inflation is a rolling figure and it changes month on month based on the last 12 months of data. And so what we're starting to see is inflation come down from its peak. And we have to appreciate and understand how inflation has been caused. Well, there's two types of inflation, really. There's imported inflation, which comes from you know, gas and oil prices that we're importing into our country, which isn't helped if the value of the pound is down. So, you know, when you go on your holiday and you think, well, crikey, I used to be able to get $1.80 once upon a time to go to the US, and now you can get $1.30, you can see the sort of disparity. And so therefore it costs us more to go places and to bring these goods and services in. And then you have what's called domestic inflation. And domestic inflation is very much built within our own country and is down to our spending. And so the only tools really that the government or rather the Bank of England have to try and curb inflation is to put up interest rates because we are a nation of home buyers and homeowners. However, it's taken a lot longer to take effect because a lot of people are in fixed rate mortgages and we're in nice fixed rate mortgages. Some people down at sort of one and a half to two percent, whereas now we're probably realistically seeing interest rates around the three and a half to four and a half percent. So quite a significant increase. But they reckon that there's probably about I think it was about one point three million households that are come up, coming up for remortgaging this year. Now, are interest rates going to cap out soon? The markets are suggesting so. So whilst we got over our hiccup with Quasi and Liz, we then had a more stable route forward. The markets calmed down because they like direction of travel. That allows the Bank of England to start saying to themselves, OK, well, what do we need to do? How much? How many more times do we need to squeeze things up to make the pip squeak a little bit and stop people spending quite as much money? So the general view is that the US might have one more rate rise and the UK possibly the same. But actually, there's also suggestion that the UK might not need to go as hard as they first anticipated. So there's a general feeling out there now that we are capping out at the top of the interest rate cycle. And interesting, that means we've had a lot more calm in the housing market. And so whilst there has been a pullback a little on house prices, spring is the usual sort of next step for getting houses out in the market. And if we have, a, as I say, a period of calm, affordability is still there and rates aren't significantly higher than they otherwise might have been, then we might see sort of business as usual back in the housing market, although yet to be seen. Okay, cool. So Liz Truss's quasi Kwarteng budget basically was not great or terrible and kind of unprecedented, like you said, because the markets basically got rid of a prime minister because the market reaction was so strong. Basically, that was it. They were both gone, which is kind of interesting. I don't remember that happening before. And interesting what you said about basically the markets have probably got more power than the chancellor at the time. And then inflation is going up for various reasons that you outlined. And the natural way to curb inflation is to increase interest rates because that makes us think, OK, I might just need to save some more money to pay off my mortgage. And they were going up quite starkly, but hopefully leveling off a bit at the moment. 
So what does all this mean for, in, oh, well, let's go, should we go investments first or mortgages first? Yes. Let's go investments first. So investments have had a torrid three years and that's because of COVID. Then the impacts of COVID off the back of that and more recently, the impact of the Ukraine war. And then just to kick the boot in whilst investments were on the ground, that was Quasi and Liz's intervention, which actually had a quite a large impact on sort of more cautious investors as well. So it was a bit of a perfect storm that it's a term that's banded around quite freely, but it has been unprecedented in terms of what we've been through over the last three years compared to what we would normally expect in most economic cycles. So investments took an initial shock to the market, firstly, because of inflation and interest rate rises at the beginning of the year. Last year, that was so the beginning of 2022. And that was a bit of a correction in the market because technology had been stealing the show during COVID times and was really the sort of bastion where to put your money during hard times. And bizarrely, gas and oil was just tanking significantly down because obviously no one was using gas and oil at the time during COVID. So there was a natural correction in the market. There's a natural reaction to inflation increasing and interest rates having to go up fairly quickly. But then that was compounded, as we said earlier, by the Ukraine war. And then all the sanctions, all the issues around the gas and oil prices. And that just translated into the markets not understanding or not having foresight over the next six to 12 months. So we saw the markets drop with sanctions. There was a bit of leveling out. Then further issues around gas and oil supplies that obviously started to take the markets lower. But interestingly, over the summer months, they started to recover and they were actually in a reasonably strong position at the beginning of September. And then, as we've said a moment ago, here came Quasi and Liz. And effectively, we are still recovering off the drop in the markets off the back of their intervention in September and October. So we're not a million miles away, but we're now sort of clawing our way out of that drop in the market. Now, on the whole, over a three-year period, investments have been relatively level, depending on what kind of risk appetite you're taking. But on the whole, they've been relatively level, which I think is actually quite a good outcome considering what we've been through over that three-year period. But what 2022 has allowed the investment markets to do is reset to some degree back into a normal cycle that we haven't actually seen for over 14 years. So the last time we had normal, in inverted commas, would have been the 2008, just before the 2008 crash, where we had interest rates in a reasonable level, you know, bond prices and government debt was priced normally. We didn't have any sort of bubbles waiting to pop in the markets. And so actually, there's just been an opportunity here by the Bank of England and other central banks to put interest rates back to a normal level. Because if you think about it this way, if interest rates were at half a percent still, and they needed to stimulate the economy, there was no way of doing that. They had absolutely no capacity for it. And so actually now interest rates are up to a more normal level. That is giving them more leverage and more opportunity to help stimulate the economy going forward. So what do we expect to happen? We expect inflation to come down, but not as sharply as we first anticipated. And the reason why inflation will come down normally is because the rolling 12-month figure I spoke about, those sharp increases in gas and oil prices we're hitting the anniversary now. So what we'll start to see is as long as those prices don't keep going up at that rate, they level out, then inflation will start to come down naturally because of that. Also, the impact of interest rate rises will start to filter through slowly. But where it's going to take longer to come down is because people's salaries have invariably been reasonably increased in the private sector. I know that's not the case necessarily in the public sector. You're going to trigger a lot um, of doctors by saying that, Mike. 
I know, <laughs> but actually it's a truth out there at the moment. And actually, when you look at where we are with a distinct lack of employees across private and public sector, in the private sector, what's happened is that average salaries have gone up by around seven, seven and a half percent over the last year. Now, that's just a sign of the times. But what that then has an impact on is the prices we pay for those goods and services, because if employees need more money to live, then those costs are invariably passed on to the consumer, the person buying those products and services, which then in turn means that they're spending more money on that and then they have less money to buy other things. And then we go around in this vicious circle and that's what stagflation is. And so that's why we're in a position where actually inflation will take a little bit longer to come back down than normally we would have seen. So if we go back to 2008, where it was actually quite a sharp reduction in sort of the inflation rate, went up, interest rates went up high, and then they came down fairly quickly. And that's because we were, as I said, we were in a different time then, not as many people were fixed in. But that's why inflation will be stubbornly high for a bit longer. Also, it's probably fair to say the reason we're not going to see it drop as much as well is because gas and oil prices are artificially high because the gas and oil providers or suppliers have to buy their gas and oil on what's called forward contracts. So they buy their consumption for six to 12 months time today. And what that means is they were buying the gas and oil we're going to use in the next 12 months, 12 months ago, or six to 12 months ago when it was at its peak. So gas and oil prices are actually back to pre-war level, which basically means they spiked and came back down. But we won't feel that for a while. Because there's a bit of a lag, basically, is what you're saying. Absolutely. Now, if we know that interest rates are going to top out soon and we think inflation is going to slowly bring its way back down, that gives the markets confidence. It gives its guidance. It gives it a view of where we might be in six to 12 months. And there's some quiet optimism is probably the best way to put it, that towards the back end of this year, we'll start to see interest rates come down again. Doesn't mean to say they'll fall sharply, but if inflation is under control, then they will bring interest rates down. And the reason they're bringing interest rates down then is to give people more money, to give businesses the ability to borrow, to allow them to start investing and growing their businesses. And we get back into a normal economic cycle. So at the moment, we're in a sort of depressed area. We're coming out of sort of a recession. They actually think we may not have even really entered a recession, or if we did, it was very shallow. And then it would be a case of, right, how do we push forward? The difficulty we have as experienced everywhere, is that we still have a distinct lack of employees in this country to do the jobs we need. But that's a completely different subject and conversation that's probably not appropriate for today. Yeah. Okay. So there's a lot to unpack there. When you basically said that things were returning to a more normal economic situation, what you were basically referring to is that over the last 10 to 15 years, interest rates have been uncharacteristically low. I was just having a quick Google. The average interest rate in the UK between 1971 and 2023 was 7.1%. So I know that includes a period in the 70s when interest rates and inflation were very high. So we're getting to more like back towards the historical mean interest rate. I think the mean interest rate since the Bank of England was formed in the 1600 was around 4%. So things are going back that way. And investment wise... I mean, we can't really give any advice or anything, but I mean, it always annoys me because they're like, you know, the usual naysayers were saying there's going to be an investment crash and, you know, Michael Burry sold his entire stock portfolio. Obviously, he correctly predicted the housing bubble in the States and famously in the big short film and book, 
But I'm looking at the FTSE 100 and it looks to be at a record high right now of 7,900. So yep, not much going there. S&P 500 America, yeah, they've had a bit of a pullback. And I think that was largely driven by tech stocks, which are particularly vulnerable to increased borrowing costs. But again, it's not looking like a crash to me. I don't know. I just, because I just ignore all this and I just keep pound cost averaging into my portfolio every year. Don't try and guess or second predict the markets. But what are you saying to your clients? So when we invest for a longer period of time and looking over a short period of time is never a good thing to do. You should be investing really for a minimum of five years plus. And that's because that allows you to ride out the highs and the lows, mostly the lows. And usually over a five-year period, you will be in a positive position. That's I say that usually. doesn't mean to say that's always the case. But you know, we've got to look at it in the greater scheme of things. We don't try to do day trading. You shouldn't necessarily try to second guess the market because you will always get it wrong. Always get it wrong. No one ever gets it right. And so therefore, what you look to do, and this is sort of Warren Buffett's general view, is that you buy something that's good value and you stick with it and you trust the markets and you have your money in the right split and spread of assets. So whether that's cash, bonds, equities, you know, or property. And if you have a good diversification spread across those, then over the course of time, you will do well. We have one of a guest investment manager on one of our monthly updates we send to clients. And they were talking about sort of where we are on the fear scale as you go through investment cycles. And last October, we were in the capitulation stage. And that was the bit where people were just saying, I don't want to be in here any longer. It's just, you know, I can see my money going down. And interestingly, that's the point where everyone else is poised to come back in. So the people that are able to detach their emotion from investing, and that's quite a tough thing to do. They're the ones that are poised to jump on those low areas of the market. No one quite knows where it is, but as long as you sort of hope you're in that bottom dip somewhere, you're going to come out better off. That's why investing on a monthly basis is such a positive thing to do, because you are getting a bit of those downsides. And that means when the markets do recover, you will benefit from having bought throughout that cycle. Yeah. And just for those that aren't aware, what we're talking about here is pound cost averaging or sometimes called dollar cost averaging by our American cousins. Mm -hmm. And essentially, rather than trying to predict the market, time the market, no one can do that. Not even Michael Burry did it once. I think he's predicted 20 of the last two recessions. That's what they say about Michael Burry. He's a little on the pessimistic <laughs> side. Instead of trying to predict the market and everything, you just invest by, I mean, I just have a direct debit every month. Whatever's happening, just keep it going in. And then you catch a bit of the downside, you catch a bit of the upside. And over time, in general, pound cost averaging is the best way to do versus lump sum not advice, but that's what we're just talking about there for those that aren't familiar. Hopefully I haven't put any words in your mouth there, Mike. No, I mean, it depends on where you are, what your objectives are, and how much money you've got. If you have a lump sum, then it depends, you know, what it is you're trying to achieve with that and whether it's, you know, you're trying to get tax relief and other things. So there's lots of reasons why you might do a lump sum, but equally you might also sometimes consider putting a lump sum in over a period of time. So you're dripping it into the market almost to try and take advantage of some downturns in the market. But that's really going to be a conversation with your advisor, which is, you know, taking into consideration all your longer term objectives. Absolutely. Yeah. What we're talking about here is if you've got some spare, you know, two, three hundred pounds a month, I guess, and you're thinking, right, how can I start saving for the future? That's when pound cost averaging really comes into its own. Yeah, definitely. Love it. And I guess, yeah, it always amuses me when if it's 30% off in your favorite clothes shop, okay, everyone's queuing out the door, like trying to buy stuff in the sale. When the stock market's at a 30% discount, 
no one's queuing and everyone's selling it always confuses me and i think again it's in our own circumstances but i am at the start or earlier part of my investment career so when there's a 30 percent off sale on stocks it's an absolute dream for me i'm buying things 30 percent cheaper than they ought to be so again no advice but the investing psychology is so important and i think you can know the theory all you like but where advisors like yourself really add value in my opinion is with that psychological thing you know it's your first downturn and you're looking at your portfolio and it's down 25 percent you know a quick phone call to mike he'll like get you to do some deep breaths and tell you what to do whereas if you're doing it on your own i've seen people like literally buy high sell low well absolute disaster so if we go back to that sort of that fear curve i was talking about it, it was basically the investment journey and it was you know the fact that when you're at capitulation that's the bottom of the curve but actually as things recover optimism comes in and then euphoria hits and that's when a lot of people feel that the markets just will not go down look it keeps going up it keeps going up it keeps going up i think that's probably something that's happened with the cryptocurrencies over time is that everyone goes right it's just it's on that trajectory up i'm going to get on that bandwagon actually and crypto is an example it can happen in any type of asset that you might go into so the key to all of this is about diversifying as i said and making sure that you have a bit in all of these different areas and that's when if you do go and take advice then you know they would take you through that journey and make sure that you have the right tolerances within there as to how much risk you're prepared to take and that can either increase or dampen how much return you might get but it's all about putting the money in holding it for the longer period of time and making sure you're never under pressure to have to take that money out at a, a, an incorrect time so i.e when the markets are down that's the worst case but also the reason why you don't look at it over 12 months is because over 12 months you might be down but actually if you've been investing for five years you're still significantly up on where you started. And so you have to always, you know, zoom out, look at the bigger picture and understand, well, actually, how much growth have you had in total over that? And therefore, this small little dip in the market is effectively just eating away at the sort of the growth, the, the, the sort of investment fat, as I would call it, that you've accumulated over that time. And then we go again. And actually, the point I was trying to make earlier about 2008 and how we've been moving back to a more normal cycle is that gives us more certainty over the future, gives us more understanding of what could happen with the investment markets. The only thing to say is there's always going to be these potential events out of left field, what we would classify as possibly black swan events, which was the Ukraine war. The next thing on the horizon might be what are the concerns around China and Taiwan? And does the Russia-Ukraine war escalate any further than where it currently sits? So these are some of the unknowns. However, what the markets are good at doing over time is taking those into account. What they don't like is the sudden change, which then provides a knee-jerk reaction. Yeah, awesome. Okay, so much good info in there. And like you say, like the you know diversification, spreading your investments around, whether it be bonds, property, shares, etc. Really important to insulate you a bit from these volatility is what we're talking about there. Because if you can get assets that are negatively correlated, that is one goes up, the other goes down, then hopefully that will insulate you a bit from volatility. All right, I am getting like tons of questions in my inbox basically saying like about mortgages. Should I fix on a two year now at a higher rate and then in two years time, fingers crossed, Mike told me that interest rates were going down. <laughs> I'm joking, no predictions here. But seriously, like what are you saying to people who need to remortgage in the next six months? And like you said, we're in that scenario. They might be on like a 1.5 or 2% 2, 2 now and they're staring down the barrel of a 4 to 5%. What should we do without giving any advice? 
Okay, it really does depend on your personal circumstances and also how you feel about risk. Because there will be some people we talk to who say, I just want to know what is going to be going out of my account every month so I can budget. And if that's the case, then you probably are better off looking at fixed rates because that means you have a certain amount, a certain cost to you every single month. However, that may come at a premium, certainly over a two year period. And that's because we know interest rates will stay higher over that period of time. So it depends on which day of the week it is as to whether a five year fix is cheaper than a two year fix. And it also depends on which day of the week it is and which lenders are in the market as to whether a tracker mortgage, which is a rate that goes up and down with any increases in the Bank of England base rate in its simplest form, they are sometimes a bit cheaper at the moment. So if you wanted a cheaper mortgage, you might look at a tracker right now. However, what we can't tell you is where interest rates are going to cap out. We think we know where they're going to cap out, but you might see it increase and then it might decrease over the course of time. Interest rates might not go down for six to nine months which means you could be paying a higher rate for that period of time. So sometimes it's the classic, a bird in the hand's worth two in the bush. Do you try to game it and hope that you're going to come out better at the other end? Or do you accept there's a premium to be paid for the assurance of getting a fixed rate over a period of time? Now, if you're planning to move in a couple of years, then you might go, right, I want to know what my rates are going to be for two years. You might fix or you might, like I said, go on a tracker. If, however, this is a home for you for a longer period of time, and you're thinking to yourself, well, actually, I'd just like to know what that cost is going to be for the next five years, then fix it. It all comes down to your personal circumstances, your affordability, and what is more important to you. And the test I always apply is, what's going to keep you awake at night? Would you rather know what you're going to be paying out and sleep well at night? Or if you go on a tracker, and then you're concerned every night thinking, crikey, I can't afford it, it's going up, it's going up, it's going up, then clearly that's not going to be the right one for you. So a lot of it comes down to how you feel, your tolerance yeah. on those particular yeah. items. Yeah, it's so important that, like that the, like you said, it's just on your individual circumstances. And uh, I mean, I've been through this before, but in 2009, I bought a flat. I was really flat broke. So I think I fixed in at 3.2%, like the lowest interest rate we'd seen for years at that stage. And I did that because I just needed to know what my outgoings were because just being honest, I had absolutely no slack in the system. So if I gambled and got it wrong, I'd have been in a lot of trouble. So I fixed a 3.2% and obviously 2009, we know what happened then. That was probably one of the most expensive mortgage deals that I had, but it was the best one for me because that's what I could afford. And like now, yeah, I've got one on a variable because I can afford to gamble, as you said. So I think that's so important. Like the right one for you is just it depends on not only your own circumstances, but like your stage of life, basically, and what else is going yep. on. And so that's good advice there. What else should we cover? Any more crystal ball gazing or words of wisdom? I think we've covered most of the areas that are probably of concern to most of the listeners. I think it's just trying to understand and be educated as to what's gone on and why it's happened. And I think if you can understand why it's happening, then you can rationalise it. And that takes away a lot of uncertainty and anxiety that this environment can provoke. So, you know, something you mentioned earlier is that when things go wrong, the value of an advisor is that we will hopefully provide some sage and calm words of advice. And like I said, that's why we send out an investment update and we send out mortgage updates as well on a monthly basis to clients that are with us. Because it's that continued communication of saying, look, we're here to help. We've got our arm around your shoulder because 
not everyone is going to be a financial guru or feel comfortable with making these decisions. And for some people, it's the first time they're making these decisions. They are big, huge commitments when you're about to take on your first house or your first mortgage. It comes easy once you've done it for five or 10 years. But as I said, you know, we've been in a period of 14 years of low interest rates. And so our lives and our spending habits have changed because we've seen borrowing debt as a cheap way. And the conversation is now changing because debt is becoming more expensive. And that is having an anxiety provoking effect on a lot of people, especially if they're coming up to renewal and they weren't anticipating this and their family circumstances might be in a situation where that's going to have a detrimental impact to them. And I think that's when having the conversation with advisors can really help because you can contextualize it in lots of different ways. And a lot of what we do is spending time explaining, as I said earlier, but also allowing you to look at things in different lights. And that starts with having an understanding of what's going on out there. Yep, definitely. Just getting a bit of basic knowledge is the key. Okay, that was awesome. You mentioned, you know, if you just want to get started investing, are we going to talk about your really nice product that I love? Put it in the links. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. We can certainly talk about that. So investment advice is changing dramatically and has done over the past 15 years. And what we found is over the past 15 years is there's become something called the advice gap. And the advice gap is how can you get to speak to someone who has knowledge and experience in the field without feeling like it's overly expensive? And a lot of this comes down to, you know, running businesses, having staff, having costs, regulatory costs and insurances and all those sorts of things. And so what's happened is financial advisors have dropped in numbers dramatically. So 15 years ago, there were over 130,000 advisors. We are now down to around 35,000 advisors. And we're down to around 6,000 chartered advisors. And so you can see that the population's increased. The number of advisors has decreased. Regulation costs have increased. And basically, it means general financial advice could be perceived as only available to those that have big sums of money to invest or are prepared to pay reasonably large fees. So basically, we spotted this and it was actually a conversation with yourself, Tommy, when we were talking about this and how we get people on their investment journey. And so we've come up with a low cost solution that basically allows you to go through an advice process with ourselves. It's all online and basically provided with a recommendation as to how you should invest. And there's a couple of options. You can either invest just tracking the markets. And this is, again, like a whole new conversation. We did do a podcast on it many years ago. Or we actually have one that is more ethically based. So depending on how you might feel about how you invest, there's a route for each way. And then basically, you can invest as much or as little as you like on a monthly basis. I think the minimum is £50 a month. So you can just get started. And then you can increase that if you wish, if you have a bit more disposable income. And also, you can put lump sums in there as well. So it's mainly focused at people saving into an ISA an individual savings account. And that means then any growth that you put in there or gain from it is free of tax at the point of this podcast going out anyway. Got a budget next week. Anything can happen. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, the principle there is, look, sort of being supported by a larger financial advisor. We've selected those investments because we believe they're appropriate for you. It helps you get on the ladder. It means you're part of the support service that we provide. And it means that once your assets grow to a certain level, then you might benefit from full financial advice. And that's when you can sort of make that leap across into that service. The reason why I love it is because it's really better to get started as early as possible because of the power of compounding, compound interest, eighth wonder of the world. The earlier you start, 
the better because you've got more time for compounding. But it, back when I started investing, it was really hard. None of this existed, this really nice technology. And so if you just want to get started, I just love this as a really good way to get started. We talked about fees. So what are the fees on this? I mean, this robo advice, what we're calling it, isn't it? Yeah. So basically, depending on whether you're going to just track the market or whether you're going to go down the ethical route, you'd be looking between one to one and a half percent total cost. So the ethical route is more expensive and that's because it's more actively managed. And that means they're actually having to look under the bonnet of the companies they're investing in to say, are you truly ethical in your approach? Or are you using certain you know, manufacturing processes that are not seen as ethical or you're using slave labor, those sorts of things? So there's a, as you can appreciate, there's a degree, an extra degree of research involved on that. Whereas the passive side is coming in around the 1% mark. It is just a bit over there. Again, it depends on which portfolio you go into, but to all intents and purposes around that. And so, yeah, if you expect between one to one and a half percent, then you're probably not going to be a million miles away. Yeah. Awesome. I love it. And it's just so simple. So I'll drop the link below. You literally just click the link. It asks you some questions about what your goals and things are, and then it spits out what it thinks could be good for you. And you can literally just get started today. So I'll drop that in the show notes. Brilliant. Thanks so much for that, Mike. I think we should just do like a regular market crystal ball gazing. And we can also test your crystal ball because no one's got a crystal ball. But I think it's good to sort of just, as you say, understand what is happening and why and hopefully that helps the listeners absolutely have to play back some clips that i might have said just to see whether they come true or not (laughs) (laughs) brilliant take care mike thanks very much cheers